0: Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to How Should I Be Positioned on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. As you know, on this podcast, we do like to discuss macro developments and asset allocation with our UBS Chief Investment Office, as well as our third party asset manager partners. So let's meet our participants joining us for today's conversation. Glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, the head of asset allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, and glad to welcome to the forum, William Davies, Global Chief Investment Officer at Columbia Threadneedle Investments. So, Jason, William, it's great to be with you both. Looking forward to hearing your insights, and thank you for spending some time with our listeners and our clients today.
1: Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. Good to see you, Dan.
0: So maybe thinking back to the 1st of January, William, I know considering where we are today in the markets, much has taken place, much has changed, and much continues to unfold rapidly, whether it be COVID-19 restrictions, in many cases being lifted in parts of the globe, of monetary policy measures here in the U.S., and more recently geopolitical developments in Eastern Europe. Where does your market outlook, William, stand today relative to where we were at the beginning of the year, looking out over, let's say, the next 6 to 12 Months.
2: Well, that's, a, that's an excellent question, um, uh, Dan, because as we entered uh, this year, uh, certainly the volatility we've seen um, is, is greater than we would have thought. Uh, we we're expecting um, to have a different environment uh, with QE um, uh, off the table, uh, with uh, interest rates rising, fiscal stimulus um, uh, going down. Um, but that was kind of all, all expected and so the degree to which we've seen markets come off and that rotation within the markets is greater than we would have thought um so why is that uh, why has that occurred well i guess um uh, as you mentioned geopolitics has uh, has uh, entered the fray as well with the concerns about uh, uh russian intervention in um, uh, ukraine uh, but it's quite interesting because we look at what has occurred and we're actually uh, uh kind of uh, on our way out of uh, COVID. Um, uh, we would hope um, uh, now, there may be more strains as we move forward, but hopefully we're on the, uh, on the, on the, on the good trajectory right now. And so with uh, corporate balance sheets um, uh, strong um, and earnings uh, uh, pretty, uh, pretty attractive, we're actually seeing some um, good opportunities which are arising um, uh, in markets as a result of some of this volatility we've seen over, um, uh, over the uh, first two months of uh, this year. Uh, So actually, we look at the next six to 12 months and uh, agree uh, that rates will rise um, uh, from here um, as expected. Uh, But actually, we think that some of the market falls are creating opportunities uh, for investors right now.
0: Thank you, William. Yeah, definitely want to follow up and hear your thoughts on allocation, where opportunities exist a bit later in the conversation. And Jason, uh, the timing works out well. I know you and I spoke a bit earlier today. You did talk about uh, the economic picture, the outlook here in the U.S., and how it's quite unique when you consider what the data is telling us and what the Fed's mandate is for policy as we make our way through the year. So what are your thoughts, Jason?
1: You know, we titled our 2022 outlook a year of discovery. Uh It's certainly been a year of discovery thus far in terms of what's uh, you know going to transpire in terms of policy, geopolitics, and things of that sort. So, that hasn't disappointed. The crux though, of our view, from a fundamental perspective, was that ultimately, you know, growth would still be uh like U.S. and globally above trend throughout the year, you know, moderating as the year goes on. I think. Even though we saw a slowdown, you know, at the end of last year, the start of this year, due to the Omicron wave, it's been relatively you know, modest. And, and the latest data we're seeing suggests a bit of a reacceleration, at least in the near term. So I think the trajectory of growth is playing out as we expected. Inflation is certainly very high, but that is also kind of what was anticipated that it would peak in Q1 and start to moderate uh, throughout the year. And, and we still believe that's kind of, that sort of, you know, is the right trajectory. The Fed has certainly become more hawkish than I think anyone anticipated, so even back on January 1. But we did think rates would rise this year, so the the move in the ten year up to two percent uh is is not that far off in terms of what we were anticipating of, of how quickly it could rise. We kind of began the year where I think it was probably discounting or not sort of pricing enough of both the better macro outlook but also on what the Fed would do so that hasn't really you know kind of changed clearly you know the magnitude of of kind of risk assets and, and assets in general sort of you know sign off is. You know, has been sort of surprising, but the relative moves in terms of what's worked and what hasn't, I think it's been sort of consistent with what we expected in terms of areas of uh, you know, value stocks, energy financials doing relatively well, commodities doing well. So I think the, the overall thesis for, for us hasn't really changed, even though clearly the, the Fed has turned more hawkish. Uh, and the, you know the, today the levels of, of markets and risk assets compared to where we were just eight weeks ago has shifted, but I think the relative view has not altered at this point in time.
0: Thank you, Jason. So uh, William, maybe revisiting some risk considerations that were alluded to a few moments ago the list is quite extensive again you think about rapidly evolving geopolitical tensions a fed which appears to be more and more hawkish here in the u.s ongoing inflation pressures the list it does seemingly go on so william what do you believe the market is most focused on or what among this risk basket so to speak will remain on the minds of investors over the longer term
2: I think that's evolved a little bit as we've gone through um, the beginning of uh, uh, 22. Um, if we started the uh, year, the the focus was on inflation. It was on um, interest rate um, uh, rises. It was even um, on um, uh, Omicron as well, and the degree to which that would. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, slow down um, economies at the beginning of, um, uh, of this year. Uh, but as we've, uh, as we've gone through the first couple of months, um, certainly the geopolitics um, has also come to the fore and, um, and has been an added risk here. Uh, but I think one of the things which I find quite interesting is that we go back to the beginning of December and we're expecting to see the Fed raise rates um, as we went through 22, um, uh, but not nearly to the extent of those uh, four, five, uh, six rises, uh, maybe even more um, as we go through this year. So uh, that increased hawkishness, um, as we've seen inflation um, uh, ahead of expectations and, and persistent. Um, has, has led to some of this um, uh, change that we've seen um, in leadership uh, within markets. And yes, I mean I would agree with um, uh, Jason that we, you know, that we that could have been expected at the beginning of this year. But the degree to which that has occurred, um, I think, has probably taken us um, uh, somewhat by surprise. The uh, the degree to which we've seen the outperformance of value and underperformance of, of growth and uh, value. Uh, but what we start to wonder about here at Columbia Threadneedle is are we um, around about that uh, peak of uh, of concern uh, about the degree to which interest rates um, uh, rise this year, Uh, the peak at which um, uh, uh, we are concerned about inflation? Uh, Because as uh, Jason rightly said, we expect inflation to abate um, as we go through this year. Uh, As that happens, do we start to then um, think about uh, maybe, well, interest rates will rise? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But do, do do we then not, expect an increased number of rises as we go through this year. Uh, Do we moderate um, uh, a little bit in terms of tensions um, uh, in in Europe and and around Ukraine? uh, Certainly they have um, uh, intensified as we've gone through um, uh, this year. Um, I don't know whether or not they will moderate as we can uh, continue. But we do see the possibility for um, as we go through this year that some of those concerns uh, which were really out there and affecting markets at the moment uh, may abate as we go through this year. And if that is the case, uh, we would um, be pretty constructive um, uh, about the outlook for equities as we progress, Uh, but also um, expect that maybe some of the trends that we've seen thus far this year in terms of the uh, strong performance uh, from energy, from value, uh, maybe we'll start to see a rotation of that um, as we start to see uh, growth um, uh, growth expectations fall a little bit as we go through this year. Um, and so maybe that rotation we've seen or the the trend at the beginning of the year um, is uh, is something which um, will be less evident as we uh, progress through 22.
1: Hey, William, if I can sort of jump in with a question for you and kind of follow on your comments there and your opening comments sort of implied, you know, I think a relatively you know, positive view for for risk assets for equity this year. You know, caveats that, you know, you know, things can't get much or that, you know, if they get much worse, that's a different story. But it sort of just in general, it sort of strikes me as a relatively kind of optimistic tone. And the one thing that I've noticed in the in the recent weeks is how much sentiment is deteriorated. And you could see it by certain gauges in the market, like, you know, the AI, Bulls Bears, and, you know, some of the positioning metrics certainly have, have de-risked. And just this past weekend, reading a lot of emails from more sort of broker, investment bank kind of sell-side commentary you know, relatively pessimistic, you know, that the tone has definitely shifted from, like, buy the dip the past few years to, like, now sell the rallies. I kind of think some of this is a little bit overstated. I feel like people are focused so much on, you know, the Fed tightening and killing the cycle, inflation being high, and not so much on the on the positive side. Uh, when I talk to investors such as yourself, I feel like they're they're more my in my camp, and these are people who are actually invest in, like, putting money to work. So I guess, do you kind of get the same sense? Are you, you know, are you would you say that in the optimism pessimism camp you actually lean more towards the optimistic side and, and if so what kind of ultimately kind of gives you that comfort to lean in that direction as opposed to you know the you know the chattering classes that right now sound pretty pessimistic to me
2: yeah i mean i mean those, those are all um uh, you know very good points and it would be you know foolish of me uh, to say things can't deteriorate um, from here particularly when you look at the situation in in the ukraine they could deteriorate uh, from here but if you look at it from a uh, from the uh, Russians' um, uh, perspective, uh, they've uh, helped drive um, uh, commodity prices, um, you know, gas prices um, and uh, petrol prices um, higher, oil prices higher as we've gone through um, uh, the winter months. That's great um, uh, for uh, Russia. Uh, Putin has successfully antagonised the West. Um, he's at the centre of attention and um, globally as well. These are all things that you know that uh, that he would like. So he's achieved an awful lot. Um, if he goes to that next stage um, and, you know, we don't know with someone like uh, um, him that uh, that he won't. But what I would say is that he's a, he may well have achieved what he wanted to achieve um, uh, over this um, uh, winter. And if I look at what is occurring um, uh, around the you know, around the world in terms of sentiment, as you rightly um, uh, point out, it just strikes me that we have gone. Uh, from an environment uh, where, uh, you know, we're, we're progressing along OK with, um, uh, with growth OK. So suddenly um, the number of interest rate rises has just gone um, through the roof in terms of what is expected. The uh, political environment has deteriorated markedly. And when you start to see that rapid change, I think it's incumbent upon us to try and put things in perspective and to recognize uh, that actually there is upside out there um, as well. And, uh, and actually, we shouldn't only be looking at uh, uh, those risks, which we should not discount, absolutely not. Uh, but um, you know, the corporate uh, environment is, is relatively strong. As we emerge from the pandemic, um, supply, um, the uh, supply chains uh, will start to improve, not overnight, uh, but they will gradually improve. Uh, that may bring about some of the um, a reduction in some of those inflationary pressures, and I can see an environment where um, actually things start to get better, as opposed to what we've seen at the beginning of this year, which is kind of that fear gauge, that fear index, just uh, rise inexorably um, over the um, first seven months of um, seven months, seven weeks um, of uh, of this year. And so I think when you get a situation like that, when it appears that we will only focus upon the um, uh, upon the negatives, it's time to take a step back and say, hang on. Okay. What actually can go right from here? What are what are the areas which have been unfairly affected in uh, in some of this uh, transition over the first um, uh, couple of months of the of the year? And to my mind, yeah, I mean, um, uh, I, I think now is the time to be a bit more constructive. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean there's no risk out there at all. Absolutely not. Uh, But if there weren't any risk, then prices will be a good deal higher than they are right now.
0: William, just to circle back on the Fed for a few moments, I know we are highly anticipating the meeting coming up in March, and it's largely agreed upon across the street that we will see a hike at this upcoming meeting. Do you think that at this point that's priced into markets, and can you further expand on your expectations for the course for Fed policy through the balance of this year?
2: Yeah, so um, Absolutely. Um, a rate rise is, um, is baked into um, uh, March. I mean, uh, I guess there are those who may question whether or not that would be 50 basis points rather than 25 basis points, but our central case would be 25 basis points um, in March and then further increases as we, as we go through the year. But I think the important thing is not just how many rate increases do we get this year, be it four, five, six. It's, um, it's when we get into the second half of this year, if we start to see inflation abate, if we start to uh, see less pressure um, on, on rates as we go into 23, maybe growth starts to not stall, but to um, uh, plateau, come, uh, uh, come back a bit. Uh, that is when we start to see people um, uh, expecting uh, less pressure on rates as we go into um, uh, next year. If that is the case, uh, then we enter a completely different environment to that which we're in at the moment. Where people are just, um, it's, it's like a competition. See who can predict the most rate rises um, this year and next. Um, if we start to see some reversal in those inflationary pressures, and let's face it, technology still continues to have a disinflationary impact around the world. Globalization may be less so than um, a, a decade ago in terms of the advance of globalization, but again, that has a, a, a disinflationary effect um, around the around the world. If the supply chains um, start to um, uh, start to uh, get fixed, start to improve again, that'll be uh, more of a disinflationary um, uh, effect. If these things um, uh, start to take hold, then I can see an environment uh, which is very different uh, to the trends that have driven markets over the first couple of months of this year. Uh, kind of reversal of that. Um, pressure on um, uh, interest rates uh, as inflation gets uh, uh, gets higher and and, and and persists.
0: What about your take, Jason? Again, it's largely expected that we will see a hike in March. Again, the question is, well, by how much, and then what the path forward for rate hike frequency looks like from there. What are your thoughts, Jason?
1: I agree with much of what William said. You know, like March is sort of a done deal. You know, probably a series of hikes up until you know at least kind of late summer, early fall, and then. I think the Fed policy becomes much more sort of outcome dependent. So they're far enough behind the curve that, you know, three or four, maybe even five hikes, you know, are probably necessary to get them closer. And then it's, then they assess where is inflation and sort of the growth outlook like at this point in time, which, given that the way I would describe the, the Fed policy ultimately is being sort of endogenous, I mean, it's, you know, conditional on the state of the economy, you know, when we get into the fourth quarter, into 2023. So I, I see some people, you know, calling for, seven straight hikes this year or keep hiking until they get to neutral or until inflation comes down, I think it's probably more nuanced view in terms of the Fed getting closer to neutral and then sort of assessing where do things kind of go from here. And then this ultimately matters because it it does play into you know, kind of some of the current fears of how long the cycle lasts, will the Fed end up hiking and kind of killing the cycle because they'll hike too much, make policy restrictive, and it'll ultimately lead to recession. Uh, And this kind of the answer to that kind of question, you know, aside from whether the Fed unintentionally makes a policy mistake, is also asking what is the Fed's ultimate sort of objective. And while their price target or price stability target is like 2% inflation, you know, the question becomes like how much are they going to let inflation stay above that for how long? So if inflation does moderate towards 3% by year end, it looks like it's going to continue sort of on a downward trend. I think the Fed would sort of ease up on the the break, so to speak, of, of trying to cool the economy with a more gradual pace of hikes in the starting kind of by the fourth quarter and into next year to avoid a situation where they over hike and, and kind of risk the expansion. I think they'd would, they would probably rather have inflation running a little bit above what they want, you know, into 2023, maybe even 2024, if they believe it's coming down versus, you know, risking, you know, leading to a recession by the end of next year. So I think that that's kind of, you know, you know, the way I would think about it. But just turning back to you, one just kind of a question on the actual fall Fed policy tools and, and they you know, boil down to like, you know, hikes and also balance sheet reduction. And I, I definitely see some people talking about uh, you know balance sheet reduction is more predictable, you know, given the size of the balance sheet. You know, there's only one historical precedent one that's run off, and that was, you know, just a few years ago, and we know that caused some at a minimum market volatility. And now potentially the scope is even sort of you know a bigger risk if given the size of the balance sheet. How much then do you kind of think about you know, Fed hikes versus balance sheets, are they substitutes? Do you think one creates more risk and uncertainty? Uh, And how does it sort of kind of factor into your thinking about if the Fed does one versus the other? Does that alter how you think about the risk outlook?
2: No, I mean, I think that, Jason, I mean, uh, we'd expect the uh, Fed um, uh, to do both. Um, And so uh, we see the, well, I guess, first of all, it's, uh, it's ceasing the expansion of the balance sheet um, uh, and then the uh, reduction in the size of the balance sheet, as we see interest rate um, uh, rises uh, come to the fore as well. Uh, and so I think the two go hand in hand. Uh, but I think we also got to uh, remember that it's not only about monetary policy; it's also fiscal policy, um, as we see uh, the as we see uh, fiscal stimulus. Uh, less as we go forward into uh, uh, back end of 22 and into 23. Um, but going back to what you were saying, Jason, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I, in a way, there's part of me, whilst um, I, I look at the uh, rate increases and think, goodness, um, uh, people uh, suggesting maybe uh, six or seven rate increases um, uh, this year, so one and a half percent plus um, uh, this year. Um, Is that a real worry um, in comparison to where we were at the turn of the year when it may have been um, uh, three or four um, uh, rate increases or a percent or less? Uh, There's part of me which actually quite likes that um, because now it's almost as if that is is, is, uh, starting to be in investors' minds. And so um, if we do get this environment where inflation starts to uh, come back down, as we believe, and there is less pressure on interest rates, Actually, that is a positive surprise given that people are uh, starting to expect that six or maybe even seven interest rate rises um, uh, this year. And so to my mind, uh, whilst it may not be great that we've gone from um, you know, uh, very few rate increases expected uh, back in December to the um, six or so uh, maybe by some uh, right now, that is anchored in, um, in what has occurred in the market. And so to my mind, uh, makes it more likely that we get positive surprises. Uh, because the um, uh, movement in um, uh, interest rates, whilst obviously going up, uh, may not go as far as some uh, some of the um, hawks would be suggesting. Um, I don't know how you feel about that. Um, it's kind of a, a strange way of looking at it. The, the bad news which we've had at the beginning of this year means that actually later on, it may be better news as we don't um, uh, quite get that far.
1: Well, I did write a, a blog uh Two or three weeks ago, total like what is good news anymore? Because for you know, for many yeah. years post financial crisis, you know, bad news is actually good for the markets because it meant oh, the Fed's going to you know become more accommodative. Now with the Fed at least set on hiking the start and kind of getting some sort of normalization of the policy, you know, uh, you know, good data is like, what does that mean now? That is actually bad because it means the Fed's going to be even more aggressive. Bad data is probably not going to turn them. I think we're we're kind of you know until we get kind of clarity on what the Fed's going to do. I think there's a little bit of muddleness of the data and and instead of the messaging. But ultimately, to me, like, good data is good data. And we saw just even, like, the past couple days, whether it's European, you know, flash PMIs, or this morning there was, I think, the PMI services in the U.S., like, you know, kind of good data that's, that's sort of been underplayed. And ultimately, if the fundamentals are good, I think that, that will sort of triumph. But right now, that's a story where investors are not focused so much on that. I think they're just more focused on how much is the effect going to tighten and is this going to destroy the economy? And, and uh, the balance, I think, will shift as we move later into the year with the potential, I think, for the upside surprise, as you said. Uh, it might even, to me, happen sooner. I can see this sort of a scenario where things start to look better in the spring and we start hearing, like, the green shoots arguments of, you know, growth getting better, inflation moderating. So um, these narratives, you know, have a, a way of, pretty quickly in ways that are unexpected. And after this difficult first quarter, I expect, well, I think there's a decent chance the narrative turns more constructive even as soon as the second quarter.
2: Yeah, and I think you raise uh, an interesting point there about uh, services because I mean, you're absolutely right. We look at those um, uh, services purchasing manager indices, the PMIs, and, uh, and uh, certainly they're very strong um, uh, in the U.S. They're very strong in the Eurozone as well. And if we look at what has happened during the pandemic, it's goods that have been bought, not services. Um, And actually, we may see a a bit of a reorientation um, in economies um, as uh, as service spending um, uh, rises as we go through uh, this year. Incidentally, that may uh, reduce some of the um, uh, inflationary impact on the goods um, where we've seen um, uh, that um, uh, inflation. Uh, But maybe that's asking for too much as we move forward. But certainly, I think the the balance of the economy is going to change as we go through 22.
0: So when you think about asset allocation, just Taking 2022, thinking about the environment we've been through over the past almost two months at this point, and when you think about the monetary policy environment, as William Jason, you've both outlined for us, a lot of nuances. 2022 is very different from years past. From an investor's standpoint, the question becomes, well, how do I navigate through this? So what kind of guidance can you offer, William, when it comes to asset allocation, given what's ahead of us and the the volatile period we've been living through recently?
2: Yeah, well, certainly is. when we look at uh, um, asset allocation, um, I think it is very important um, uh, to look at some of the shifts that we've seen um, over uh, the recent past and the shift away from um, growth and quality uh, that we've seen as we've uh, uh, had the rotation in markets um, as uh, investors have feared interest rate um, uh, rises. Um, As as we've spoken during um, uh, this call, um, you know, we talk about a time when there's less pressure um, on rates as we move forward. Uh, We think that return to uh, growth um, and uh, quality uh, will return as we go through um, uh, the latter stages of 22 and into 23. um, As growth starts to moderate, as inflation starts to moderate, some of those interest rate uh, pressures start to moderate as well. Um, So we think that that could be uh, something which occurs as we get um, uh, later um, uh, through the year. Uh, We would also look at some of the emerging markets um, uh, around the world and and say, you know, emerging markets underperformed uh, meaningfully um, in uh, 2021. Uh, We still believe that within emerging markets, uh, there is structural um, uh, growth um, uh, uh, within these particular um, economies. And actually, valuations look pretty cheap um, at the moment. So we would um, uh, look at uh, potential uh, for growth there. Uh, within credit, um, I think, as we go through uh, 22, uh, you know, we've seen over the past couple of years, we've seen some of these falling, fallen angels as they move out of investment grade into um, high yield. On the reverse, we'll see some rising stars as we go through um, uh, this year and next. Um, and so, again, opportunities uh, within, um, uh, within credit um, in, uh, in, in certain areas. Um, so that's really, I think the, you know, uh, the way we look at some of the, um, uh, asset allocation,
1: um, as we, as we move forward.
0: What about your thoughts, Jason, when it comes to allocation?
1: So I think what's worked this year thus far with the kind of value stocks doing well, commodities, growth lagging a little bit, ultimately I think these trends will kind of continue at least for the next kind of three to six months. And that's kind of the other horizon that we would have in mind, uh, Ultimately, rates will continue to move a little higher. I think the growth outlook will get a little bit better, so reinforcing some of the trends that we've seen thus far. And we do think rates are going to go higher, which will just create a continued headwind for for growth stocks as they kind of adjust to a little bit higher rate environment. Not so much that this is a negative view for for growth or for tech, but just on a relative performance. I don't don't think it's going to be the, the sector that would be, or the style that would outperform over this horizon. As we get into later this year, I think it's a little bit of, you know, tell me you know, where rates are going to be, tell me where the growth is going to go, I can kind of give a better answer then, because ultimately if, if rates keep going higher, they're not just sort of you know, say you know, 2.4% for the chain year by you know, the first quarter of next year, but it looks like it can get up to 2.75% or 3%, I think the scope for value versus growth can continue a little bit longer. So it, it's kind of driven by the macro environment in the rates market. Where I would agree with William is, you know, on the well emerging market side, but even more so on the developed market side, like European equities, uh, things that are essentially, you know, could benefit from kind of a global growth dynamic that's still favorable, still some of the risks that we've discussed earlier kind of abating a little bit, but also just on a valuation perspective, you know, we talk about U.S. equities or equities being expensive, but it really is still kind of gross stocks that look relatively expensive. Everything else, whether it's U.S. value stocks or small caps, mid caps, uh, you know, European equities, emerging market equities they don't look that expensive relative to their own history. So I think from a medium to longer-term view, I think that's where there's still kind of some attractive opportunities, um, especially since things that have maybe kind of been discounted too much because of the you know the start of this year where a lot of risk has been taken off the table. So that's something technically like, but also more strategically, I think there's some definitely some opportunities that investors in the U.S. haven't been focused on as much. On the credit side, I'd still be cautious of, you know, rates going higher, so we've been kind of, you know, negative on things that are like longer duration, you know, very interest rate sensitive. and still think that's kind of the right positioning for the time being. But given how much rates have risen this year and how much spreads have widened, I think we are getting to the point where some of the credit product is, is that, you know, we were a little cautious on before. Now the yield starts to look a little more attractive. And if inflation does moderate throughout this year, as we expect, now suddenly these are things that become, looked a little bit uninvestable to us at the start of the year start to become you know more attractive potentially later in the year again assuming the cycle has a decent amount of runway we're not getting, getting towards the end of the runway so the big picture that's kind of how we are you know, positioned right now
0: thank you Jason so I know we're beginning to come to the end of our time together today 30 minutes goes very quickly and Jason William thank you for everything you've covered for our listeners our clients today uh, maybe before we close out we can hear some final thoughts takeaways Jason what we can do is provide a our guest William with the final words. So, Jason, I'll go to you for any final thoughts you would like to leave us with today.
1: Well, of all the things that we've talked about, I'd say, in terms of to me, like the relative importance uh, for the markets this year begins with sort of economic fundamentals, uh, even more so than the Fed, because the Fed is going to be responsive to those fundamentals, and both of those are more kind of relevant for the market outlook than you know the geopolitical tensions going on right now with Russia in Ukraine. Ultimately, it comes down to I think kind of how good is growth, is inflation moderate. Um, and the fundamentals of the U.S. and the global economy, and we believe that they're they're actually still quite solid. There's a lot of resiliency. It has not been fully appreciated relative to a lot of the risks that are getting attention mm-hmm. uh, right now. And once that starts to become more apparent, you start to see kind of more upside across different risk assets. But for the next few weeks. Uh, and maybe a little longer, lots of volatility, uh, but you should use volatility maybe to take advantage of this medium term outlook as opposed to getting too defensive.
0: Thank you, Jason. And then, William, any final thoughts or takeaways we'd like to leave our listeners with?
2: Um, Yeah, well, you both been very generous, Dan. Jason, thank you very much indeed. I guess the thing that I would um, uh, emphasize is that uh, we've had an awful lot thrown at us um, over the past couple of months in terms of uh, uh, expectations of higher rates, um, uh, inflation being higher than we um, thought, geopolitical risk, um, and what I would say is one of the important things that you know that uh, I've learned about investing is yes, it may appear uh, difficult in terms of the here and now, but we need to look forward, and if we look forward to an environment um, uh, latter part of 22 and into 23. Uh, We're going to be, you know, it may well be that rates don't go as high as people are expecting uh, right now as inflation starts to come down. And so start to think about what what is going to benefit uh, within that um, uh, environment. And so consequently, uh, we would be um, uh, increasing exposure to some of those um, uh, quality and growth um, uh, stocks um, uh, within equities uh, as we go through um, coming months. Because we think... There's some outstanding cash generating companies uh, which have been um, caught in the crossfire of of, uh, markets uh, coming off and the rotation into value, uh, which actually start to um, offer really um, attractive opportunities. So that's what we would emphasize as we move forward, um, uh, Dan.
0: Well, William, Jason, you've both been very generous with your time. It was a pleasure catching up with you both today on How Should I Be Positioned. Thank you for spending some time with our listeners, our clients, uh, sharing with us uh, your current thinking, and plenty here we can follow up on, so perhaps looking forward to revisiting our conversation a bit later this
1: year. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much, Andy. Really appreciate it. Thank you, William, for joining us today. Great conversation. Thank you.